Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Cats away. Mice can play. Oh, Emma's God. not here. <laughs> Who wants to play Emma? Can oh. we just make sure there's no singing from Kate? Sorry. Oh, why? <laughs> oh, God. What if we all like, you know, at netball when you throw your bibs in the air and swap positions? Okay, okay. I'm going to start. I'm going to go. Don't I'm put me in goalkeeper. Go. If you need, if you need. Okay. Hats off, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Do I have creepy. to sing Celine? <laughs> oh, oh, she, she's here. Oh, oops. She's here. Hang on. Shush. <laughs> What are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Just waiting. You ready to Not go? Good. In front of me, Riz. <laughs> <laughs> are we ready to do this? Cheesy monkeys. Uh, okay. You'll have to tune in. <laughs> what? I'd never listen to this podcast. <laughs> good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side. Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. Okay, you ready, ladies? We don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. Gee, who loves footy? (laughs) I'm Emma Race and I will be with you for the duration of the podcast. And joining me today, as always, is Dr. Kate Sear. How are you, Katie? Good, great. Very excited about this week. Mm. Yeah, I'm pleased to hear it. Yeah. Sitting next to her is my favourite sister, Felicity Race. How are you? Oh, I'm thrilled. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to be my favourite? Yes, I've waited my whole oh, life. And also because she's sitting next to me because we're Lucy, BFFs. Lucy is giving you the stink eye. How are you, Nicole Hayes? <laughs> I'm great. I'm going to just announce this is my favourite week of the footy, apart from Grand Final. That's it. Oh, so I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, I love absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep. So this year, this will be your favourite week. <laughs> and Lucy Race. You our hurt sh- my feelings. Our shit sibling. How are you? <laughs> Yep, just making up numbers. <laughs> um, we've got an apology today from Alicia Sometimes. She's absent. She's in Wangaratta. Or if you get the memo from her, she's in Wang. Or as the locals call it, Wang Doodle. <laughs> so she's there teaching the children. Um, memo from her says, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. <laughs> so let's kick it off. Katie, you got Omen Watch and Commentary Watch for us? I do. Backed by popular demand. I mean, these two segments are. Um, just taking the world by storm. So, look, I was really interested on the weekend. Interested is the wrong word. Interested and disappointed for Richmond, who lost mm. that game in the dying moments again for the second mm. week in a row. But there was some really strange symmetry going on there that I wanted to unpack. And so I spent a bit of time, of course, going down a wormhole looking into that whole game. So, just as a quick reminder for our listeners, you'll remember that last week, round eight. GWS beat Collingwood by three points. You remember that in the dying seconds? And then Fremantle beat Richmond also in the dying seconds of that game. So, And then what happened was on the weekend, those two teams, Richmond and GWS, played each other. And it was the same result, in a sense, for both teams in that for the second week in a row, GWS won a game by a couple of points in the dying moments. And for the second week in a row, Mm. Richmond lost. Mm. 
in the dying moments. There's been heaps of discussion in the mainstream first tier media about, uh, about <laughs> not us, you mean not us. <laughs> That's right. Um, about you know what went wrong for Richmond in both of those games, and there was heaps of uh, work unpacking Richmond's defensive setup in pressure situations, GWS's stoppage setup, and all of that. But I, I, I'm not interested in any of that. I, no. I'm interested in the, the big issues and what was really going on. Here comes the theory. Here mm-hmm. comes my theory. So I, I've worked out, I think, what to make of it. In the <laughs> Richmond GWS game, the winning goal was kicked by Jeremy Cameron. Mm-hmm. He he wears number 18. Just remember <laughs> that. Oh. <laughs> Is this a numerology thing? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm nervous. Yeah. In the GWS Collingwood game the week before, the winning goal was kicked by Stevie J. He wears number 17. Uh-oh. Get out. And in the Fremantle-Richmond game the week before, the winning goal was kicked by David Mundy, who wears number 16. So numbers no 18, way. 17 <gasps> and 16. Now, I feel that this might be a countdown of some kind and that we could expect... To the end oh, of the world. To the God. end of <laughs> the world. I'm exactly. skipping forward 15 rounds. <laughs> yes. And I'm filling the bathtub with water. <laughs> exactly. So I predict this weekend that there'll be a close finish. Someone wearing number 15 for some team... Uh, Hodgie. Hodgie, Hodgie, Hodgie. Hodgie. I was yeah. going to say, I predict that Hodgie's going to be tagged. You heard it here first. So that was Omen Watch. Mm-hmm. Countdown to the end of, wo- end of the world is on or, or, or to Trump's impeachment. I'm not sure which. Can the, you know, at the at AFL house, they have the countdown clock to the grand final. <laughs> is that actually to the grand final or to the end of the world? Oh, to the end of the voice. world. We'll have, to give, be that. we'll have to give Liz a call. And just a quick <laughs> shout out for Commentary Watch, which is also a enormously popular segment with our listeners. So as you know, I often have a little bugbears with... Um... Who are these listeners who like this? I don't understand. Um, they have a direct dog. line to Kate. Me, <laughs> me and my dog, Cyril, he loves it. He loves it. Um, as you know, I always pick up on things in commentary that I feel annoyed by, that are grammatically incorrect or whatever it might be. And one of my real bugbears is um, when commentators use a tautology in their commentary. The most obvious one is when they talk about a game of two halves, as if it might be a game of three halves or four halves, a game of four quarters. It's not going to be a game of five quarters, is it? To be fair, we're not that good at math, so they can probably say that and (laughs) get away with it. True, But look, for the first time uh, on the weekend, I realised that talking about a game of two halves made sense in in that uh, I think Clarko probably had to tell the Hawthorne players that there were two halves being played rather than just the Not one. Not go home at half time. And that, that was obviously, it, it actually is a necessary instruction. That mm. reminded me of this one time. I remember watch, telling my family I wanted to watch a really great movie. I think it was a black and white movie that I thought was amazing. And I watched it and I said, wasn't that beautiful? Is it finished? It was an intermission. <laughs> and then we came back after the intermission and everyone died of the plague. And oh. I was in a body bag. So I go, oh, my favourite characters. I didn't know anything about intermission until then. But I felt like that at that Hawthorne Collingwood game, to be honest. Mm, exactly. It was a bit like were the plague. Bags. It was a bit like the plague. <laughs> Lucy Race, you had a close eye on those games. Well, I did. I guess my take out of the Richmond game was that if you want to talk about commentary, I think the 3AW radio commentary sounded more like they were either cheering for Richmond to lose again so they could laugh, or mm. which was just harsh. What I will say about that game is my husband came and joined us at the Hawthorne-Collingwood game. Um, he didn't speak. When I looked to check if he was okay, he was watching a video of fidget spinners. (laughs) So I think that's where we've got to with that one. And then he passed the phone to you and you watched it for the second half of the Hawthorne Comedy game. But in the first half when we were doing quite well, there was one moment where, well, we kicked some great goals in the first half and my son and I both were 
just accidentally started clapping in unison, which made us quite loud. And we had the guy in front turned around and gave us the biggest greasy for, for clapping. clapping. For loud And it clapping. made me think... Have you ever come across people who do aggressive clapping? Oh, that's yeah. a thing. I, I think or, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Pass- you do passive aggressive clapping. <laughs> <laughs> More so you're being positive, but it's kind of like a, a bit of an up yours kind of. I actually have a hist- have history with Collingwood supporters. I was once clapping after we'd won a game. Uh, I wasn't being overt. I was with you for that's this. That's right. It was at Etihad Stadium and I was just clapping, team coming off, and a guy grabbed me and said, stop clapping, you slut. Oh, oh, nice. And oh. then we got a podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've actually you broken a blood Hashtag vessel. Hashtag not all Collingwood supporters. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I have broken a blood vessel in my hand once, clapping aggressively. <laughs> when it's cold, like it's really hard on your fingers. Don't you you should do a warm-up, Nick. What, perhaps <laughs> yeah, what you I'll need is what I was going to say, perhaps what you need is one of those clappers, not the clap. You don't need no, the clap. No, you need the no. clapper. We're trying to get that you out You know of those football. little things that kids have that yeah. are super they, loud? Sydney Swan supporters they have them. They have them Sydney. Oh, and you actually need to wear ear plugs. Yeah, they hurt. We've got Joe Danaher watches a new segment brought to you, of course, by Felicity, our token Essendon supporter. Correct, correct. Look, I, it just really did come to my attention after we we talked about Joe and the you know the amazing work he had done one round and the end of days for him the following round. Do you know in the last three weeks he's kicked thirteen goals too? Oh wow! Oh, mm. Isn't that That's not bad? Incredible, is it? incredible. So is anyone doing Tom Mitchell watch? No. 50, 50 possessions. Possessions. I mean, But what do they mean? Yes. Yeah. A yeah. good number of them were not so effective, let's say. Another massive thing that happened last round was Eleni Gluftus took to the field as the first female field umpire, and I alluded to it in the open. It made some people feel uncomfortable. Mm. So sorry, John Ralph, if you're uncomfortable. Yeah. That's terribly sad. So it's time to start getting comfortable, fellas. Mm. <laughs> Have you had a short history of the word uncomfortable in a football setting for us, Lucy? I feel like that word has been used quite recently um, to describe times when I think when male commentators have felt I don't know. It awkward. has indeed, awkward. Em. And I'd like to have a little uh, doff my cap to Rebecca Hain, who is on Twitter at Becca Hain and also has written a blog piece, which you can find at beccahay.wordpress.com. And I was particularly struck by her description of the word uncomfortable and how it's been used in footy media. Um, and I quote from her. It's also worth noting Tyson Edwards was uncomfortable watching women's football and the tackling involved. Gary Lyon was uncomfortable with Erin Phillips taking her kids onto the ground. Now Ralph has stated he is uncomfortable with the performance of a female umpire. It's becoming a code word and not a particularly pleasant one. Um, I think for me it's becoming a code word for I want to say something that's not very nice but I don't want to get in trouble for it. Mm. It's um, interesting that John Ralph said that because he said it on the run home on SEN and I had listened to the commentary of SEN during that game. They thought Eleni had com- had um, commentated, had actually umpired. umpired really fine, you know, of no... No note. Of no note. No note. There was clearly some issues. It's the with, best kind of umpiring There was some, not standing out, you know. Exactly. There mm. was some issues with the bounce which was turf-related and also off the back of this, not to make a pun about backs, but there's been an OH&S issue with the umpires and the bounce. Now, this has been discussed, I reckon it was seven weeks ago this was first brought up. The paperwork has been with the AFL for that for that time, I, I'm, oh, I understand. For a number of weeks. For a number of weeks. But it's really gaining momentum now because Eleni was um, 
struggled with the opening bounce. I don't know. Yeah, it's soft. skewed, yeah. which we've seen before, right? Yeah. Seen yeah. every week. And she wasn't the only one. I mean, the other umpire officiating that day, whose name escapes me, also had the same issue. Do you know what was really lovely, though? Mm. It's, you know, the, the most important people in terms of the umpire's performance is the players. And she came off afterwards saying that the players were so lovely that, you know, not only were they shaking her hands before the game, like recognising the magnitude of, you know, what the moment was, but during the game when the bounce didn't go right, she said, you know, the boys were just saying, keep going, be confident, doing a good job. Mm. I mean, how great to hear that. That's what we take out of that Absolutely. exercise. Why is it, though, that when a woman's breaking new ground, that she has to be 100% perfect from the absolute start? Because that's not achievable. You know, it makes me think of what happened when Kelly Underwood started commentating and everyone just had a a bit of a hissy fit about it and she was bumped. Whereas Mm. at the same time, you know, we have commentators who polarise fans each week. Screw up over and over again. can't remember the players' names. Mm. Yeah, Mm. I would think that that's a core part of your job to know what the players' names are. But you know, but that goes that goes fairly yeah, unnoticed. You're so, you're so nitpicky, Emery. So, but just to come back to the OHNS issue, I think it's a really important point because there had been scrutiny of her, uh, you know, a couple of bounces, and there was so much chatter, not just in first tier media, but also on social media about the fact that you know, if the bounce disappears, it's now it's going to be because of her. And I think it's very important <laughs> for the sake of history that we remember that she's not the person. Uh, whatever happens that initiated a discussion about the bounce and that there had been OHS concerns raised a while ago. I I noticed that, you know, Jeff Kennett had tweeted about this and about the OHS issues in the AFL and, and had said something to the effect of, you know, first the bounce and, you know, eventually I think we're going to... What is the AFL about to disappear? <laughs> I, I did wonder yeah. whether the countdown clock there's, that I mentioned earlier was... There's um, actually umpires right now who are injured because they've had so- shoulder surgery and a back, back yes. injuries entirely about the bounce. And none of them are women, no, by not the way. Women. No, <laughs> There no. was also... I don't know if Jeff might be writing into the Herald Sun, but someone called Tezzer is. I don't know if that's Jeff's oh. code name, but he wrote... Um, and this came from one of our listeners, Catherine Poulton, who's actually a big fan. We love her very much. Um, she sent it to us yesterday and it says, this letters to the editor in the Herald Sun, that's right, let's get rid of the bounce and then build women's umpire change rooms. That's where this is heading. God and forbid. I would say, okay. yes, it is where it's heading, Tessa. Get okay with it. Get comfortable with it, buddy, because they're going to need a change room. They can't get changed in the car park. I reckon they? No. Apparently there's going to be more injuries if you do that. Do? I reckon Tessa would be on board with Omen Watch because it sounds like Tessa thinks the end of the world is nigh. <laughs> Um, you know, we're talking about the bounce. <laughs> she threw me then. Talking about the bounce, you know, throwing the ball in from the boundary is quite hard on the body too. And, I'm, you know, just a little doff my cap to my 10-year-old son who probably weighs 25 kilos and due to lack of numbers was boundary umpire for a old man's veterans game last weekend and he's still sore and asking for Hey, one thing about Eleni, which brings me to a whole other topic, is there was some beautiful images captured of Eleni before and after the game being congratulated, like the, the other umpires getting around her. The photos were taken in the bowels of the MCG, which is where I think our dear friend Wayne Ludby lives and where he does some of his very best work. It is no irony, or the irony is lost. Is that what I should say? That, I think it's just that screwed, It's all happened in the same week as he's announced that he'll be leaving the Herald Sun 
through no decision of his own? Is that, uh, would that be fair to say? Yeah, look, I'm not 100% sure, but uh, I think the Herald Sun invited uh, redundancies and mm-hmm. or having to, to make cuts. So however it's played out, unfortunately, probably Australia's greatest sports photographer is, is leaving, without mm. uh, is without a job, and I just... I pray that something happens so that Wayne gets another opportunity if he wishes to because those are now going to be historic images for our game forever. Mm. And he's also taken some of the most historic images yeah. of the game, including the Nicky Winmar holding up his shirt yep. photograph, which um, that everybody we spoke to missed. Wayne about last mm. year. Mm. So that Nicky, yeah, exactly. You say everybody um, missed it. I was following that on Twitter. People were really upset about Wayne losing his job, and rightly so. There was another photographer who had tweeted John Donegan. He says um, he just wanted to note that... That when Wayne took the Nicky Winmar stance photo, not a single reporter or TV camera saw it. So that doesn't exist without Wayne. Yep. Mm. And that's been an actual, that's been the cornerstone so like, yeah. of changing gears for our game. It's why we had well, this dream time it, round right now almost. You can trace it back to that. Yeah, and it's not just an iconic moment in the game. It was a kind of lightning rod really for mm. race relations through the game Absolutely. and um, Wayne was integral to that. Absolutely. And I just wanted to note that Josh Pinn, who we of course give a million shout outs here, He tweeted something this week that really made me giggle. A broadcast journalist had tweeted and said, top tip, if you see news happening, turn your phone on its side and shoot in landscape and TV journos will love you for life. And Josh Pinn had written back, top tip, TV journos can do their own work and I'm not filming for TV unless I'm getting paid those dollar bills. (laughs) And I just thought, it's actually, is that the assumption that other people will capture these moments because other people will not capture these moments. I can't not get on my eye. smartphone, no. whether I've got it in landscape or portrait, I'm not going to get <laughs> Eleni being hugged by the other umpires when she comes no. off or no. she's in the race. No, and it's also kind of it's, the whole notion there's no craft to it. Exactly. It's extraordinary craft to it. It's completely ignoring the fact that, you know, someone like Wayne actually knows how to tell stories through images mm-hmm. and knows how to actually find the heart without words. Yeah. So it is Indigenous Round and the Nikki Winmar photo is um, proudly always being discussed, which we're very grateful for. Earlier um, this week, Nicole, you and Alicia caught up with someone doing some special stuff at grassroots level, which seems like a really appropriate time for us to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. We were really privileged to have a chat with Charlie Sue Frail, who's the AFL New South Wales ACT's Indigenous Programs Manager. Before that, Charlie worked for Recognise, where she was Manager of Aboriginal and of TSI engagement. She's a Namba woman originally from Brewarena in northwest New South Wales, traditionally rugby league territory, and she made the leap to AFL at the end of last year. She had a chat to us about the process and her new role. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you came to footy. Footy, well, it's actually a really different move compared to where I was previously. So I I was working at Recognise, which is the constitutional recognition campaign, which is trying to create awareness and education around the need to change the constitution to recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and remove the um, references to racial discrimination in the constitution. So jumping over to football in December, completely different world for me. (laughs) Still just trying to figure out exactly what it is. And being a um, New South Wales girl and growing up in um, country towns all my life and then moving to Wollongong when I was at high school, I was always playing NRL or soccer. So it's just a completely different world for me. And the passion and enthusiasm that comes with AFL just blows my mind. So 
I'm completely out of my depth here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, coming from uh, being a NEMBA woman and coming from Wollongong to ANU in Canberra, where are your AFL allegiances? What team do you go for? Well, I'm a Swannies girl, definitely. So (laughs) even when I wasn't following AFL, I just absolutely loved the the leadership of Mickey O and Adam Goods. I just such great men and I think they... I think they, they could definitely be the people who I started coming to AFL for was just to see such staunch leadership um, from football players is, you know, it, it exists, but to see the leadership of those two blokes, just incredible. So I had to go for the Swans for that yeah. reason. Alone. Yeah, extraordinary men and, and amazing footballers too. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your role as the Indigenous Programs Manager. So I work at New South Wales ACT Indigenous Programs Manager. Um do a couple of different elements with my job, so uh, program and talent. So we run numerous camps. Uh, Transport New South Wales have funded one of our Adam Goods talent programs, which we run that two times a year for 13, 14, 15-year-old boys and just try to increase their talents for them to compete in the National Diversity Championships. So trying to invest in their talent development but also their leadership um, skills. Then we've also got the Female Kickstart Championships coming up this year and definitely given us so many platforms for young females to develop in football and so many avenues for professional football playing. We're trying to figure out what exactly a talent program looks for females and trying to run that and get that going this year. So a lot of talent development programs, but also just the um, different programs that we run at AFL with kickstarts where we have six-week kickstart programs or you know, and just a big part of the element I'm trying to do at the moment is just building relationships in the space with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and organisations and just really trying to grow the game in New South Wales amongst the Indigenous community. What does it mean to have something like the Sir Doug Nichols Indigenous Round? What does it mean for youngsters? I think what um, one of the great things about AFL and the great things about the leadership in um this space is we have access to so many different people from all walks of life who just love, absolutely diehard love AFL. And I think what you have there is a captive audience. You have people who just will show up at the game and you get this opportunity to create awareness amongst millions of Australians, not only just during the Indigenous round, but throughout the year, just about like the um, discussions around racism that we have using AFL as the platform. I think AFL and Sporting Codes more broadly, they have this real platform to create awareness amongst everyday Australians and to really have a leadership role in just saying, okay, well, we want to make sure our fan base is reflective of the society that we want to live in. And I think that's one of the most exciting things. We get to share sharing stories with my colleagues about the 1967 referendum, which is a 10-year campaign of just people sitting in shopping centres, handing out flyers, just everyday Australians just trying to change the constitution. I think we get to tell those stories using football as a platform and it's just amazing. It's an incredible reach. It's so recent when you think about it. Crazy that it took as long as it did. Um, so what are you actually going to be doing? Do you guys, like, will you plan to sort of get a group around to watch the game? Is that an event in Indigenous communities? Yeah, so when working with the, so the state, uh, state Indigenous programs manager so currently working with the Sydney Swans and their Giants just around their activations around Indigenous rounds so they'll do a number of things uh, so they'll do their specific things that they've been doing all the years like wearing the Indigenous jerseys um, they'll play videos during the game 
they'll share stories about why it's important for them and their players and their club, um, why Indigenous ground is important. But also working with the communities such as the La Perouse Aboriginal community in um, the eastern suburbs, actually working with them to try to get them to come along to do a welcome to country, trying to get some elders involved in the uh, Guard of Honour just to really celebrate the legacy of those people who lived through 67 referendum and saw all those significant changes. So really just trying to, and trying to get as many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to the game Friday and also on the 3rd of June when the Giants have their game. So really just trying to create the platforms and opportunities for our community to get involved in the game and just see some of the really great stuff that AFL are actually doing in the Indigenous space too. You've spoken about so many amazing things happening at a grassroots level, but where is the room for improvement? What do you go into this role thinking this can change? How do you do that? Well, I think as a, so one of the really great appointments clearly is uh, Tanya Hosh coming on board. She's amazing. Um, isn't she ever? She's <laughs> I a actually followed her from my previous job. Yeah, so. recognised. That's right. I thought <laughs> yeah. that when you said it. Yeah. yeah. So I think one of the really great things that, AFL's trying to think of now is just the social space actually thinking, okay, how, how, do, how does our code to make sure we have our social policies are aligned and, you know, we have strong social policies. And I think from my space, I'm actually thinking, okay, how can I, how can I target specific programs and make sure they have a social benefit or a social outcome? So can I work with some kids in out-of-home care and develop specific programs for them? So, you know, AFL is a really good platform for their life so there's this one young guy in western sydney who lives out of home care but he's currently in the giants academy and the most stagnant thing in his life is afl so you know this afl can be used and sports can be used as a platform for you know these really great opportunities and i think i'm just trying to share those stories about how many opportunities there are in afl and yeah we've got a real strong ability to be able to have a social impact we just need a to do it properly and it's a new way of thinking and learning so excited to be part of that process in the AFL. Well I can't wait to see what you do and we'll certainly watch what you're up to and I would love to say go Swans against Hawthorne but as a Hawks supporter it's a bit hard (laughs) but go Sydney. Thank you so much for chatting with us Charlie. No worries thank you both for the opportunity. Thank you, Nicole and Alita, for having that chat because it's good to know what's happening outside of Victoria. We need to get a bit better at that, at telling stories from around Australia. Now, with Indigenous Round upon us, one thing I did notice was this week it's been a beautiful salute to um, the Indigenous heritage of, of our game that the Sydney and Hawthorne game has been called the Game of Mangook, that they're catching up to play Mangook this round. And um, I just wanted to say I really hope that the Hawks are better at Mangook than they are at footy. <laughs> Ouch. It's going to be a great game because um, they're going to be playing for the Goods O'Loughlin medal. And oh, I think yeah. it's lovely that Goods is going to be celebrated in this way because for me and for I think for a lot of people, it's still a massive blight on the game, the way that he was pushed out. And I think it's frankly unacceptable. And there's a lot of bitterness around that. So I hope that on Friday night, the fact that the Sydney Swans will be wearing a jumper that's been designed by Adam Good's mother will be a lovely celebration and I imagine that they're going to get the chocolates at the end of the game. I Doesn't don't know. That, that sounds so much cooler than if we went out on Friday night in a jumper designed by our mother. <laughs> <Doesn't> <laughs> Do you remember true. when she knitted that one that had the little sheep and the that's little fields? I liked that jumper. Yeah, I quite liked it too. <laughs> but um, I think... 
Michael O'Loughlin said it best um, when he said AFL football without the Indigenous talent just ain't AFL football. And I think that's what we're celebrating. I've loved looking at the jumpers, actually. Mm. I think they are amazing. And they all tell a story. Yeah, I was looking at the story of the Carlton one, which is amazing. It's got these beautiful little footprints on it. It's about walking back home and making the journey back home. And it's got seven boomerangs as well. If you get a chance to look through them all and see where they all come from. um, And read the stories behind them. Yeah, you'll be really touched. And further to what you were telling us, actually, a couple of weeks ago, Felicity, is a number of players are going to wear the number 67. Yeah, it's a lovely tribute, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so Cedric Cox, Dan Wells, Stephen May, Zach Williams, Sean Burgoyne, Shane Edwards and a little-known player called Buddy Franklin. Buddy who? Never heard of him. Never heard of him. So they'll all be wearing the 67, which will have absolutely no bearing on whether Brian Taylor calls the right play-by-play or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's really going to mess with Kate Simon watch, though. <gasps> True. It just well, means Buddy can't kick the winning goal. the winning goal and then we have to well, well, give well, the world a bit no longer if we start at 67. It's, yeah. a, it's a good news story. <laughs> yeah. um, the long walk does happen as well, Felicity. It does and it's this year you can be a part. You can uh, get down to Federation Square if you're in Melbourne from I think it's around 1 o'clock. There's a flag raising ceremony and then there's all sorts of singing Indigenous artists there. Um, there's the gorgeous Casey Donovan there singing and lots of people. About... I think it's quarter past four, the walk starts, and you can go and be part of that. So hop in behind Michael Long and walk to the G. And, and Rusty and Andy. Yes, which leads us kids. into our interview for today. Has anyone? I've never been to the Dreamtime game. Have you been? I have been a number of times, and it is the most beautiful. Oh, there is something. It's it, quite magic. It, it is magic, and it sounds really try to sort of say spiritual but there is something about it it is just this moment. I think it's it's a lovely celebration because it brings in storytelling it brings in dance and music and other culture and I know for our family we're a family of five four who love sport and one who doesn't and it's the only game that he likes to come to because it's a celebration of, of music and dance as well and I think when the lights go off at the MCG and it's lit up with you know, things that are happening on the on the field, it's quite a magical experience. The AFL have put out this great video, I don't know if you've seen it, about the significance of the number 67 and why we will be seeing it on the jumpers and you should watch the video if you can, but here's a little bit of audio. Today we celebrate the legacy of the 1967 referendum and those who have walked before us. We want to walk with you. We don't wish to walk alone. Andrew Mullins and Russell Smith, who are our guests, met because Andy was really curious about the oldest living culture, which is our Indigenous culture, and he wanted to go and find out more. So he sought out Russell and they have a beautiful relationship. And one story that Andy didn't tell was that um, the night that they met, they talked for hours at what he thought was Russell's house. And he was thinking, gee, he's got a lot of sporting paraphernalia and it's a really fancy house. He must be a really great musician. And he later discovered that um, they were sitting in Kathy Freeman's house. <laughs> so, but together, Russell and Andy 
bring children from Port Augusta of all different ages. They bring them to the Dreamtime game and they give them a Melbourne experience. And for most of these kids, it's the first time they've been on a bus, first time they've been on a plane, first time they've ever seen a big city. There's about 350 people in their community. And so for them coming to Melbourne, it ignites a spark. This is such a special thing for our listeners today. Andy Mullins, my dear and old friend, is an amazing man. He met AFL legend Michael Long in some of the most bizarre circumstances you'll ever hear about. He's going to tell us about that today, but he now sits on the board of Michael's um, The Long Walk Foundation. And the man who inspired that meeting is a Pitanjara man, a musician, a philanthropist, a business consultant. He is Rusty Smith. He's such a great musician and such a great man. They're both in our studio talking to us today. Welcome, fellas. Amazing to be here. Good morning, all. Thank you so much for joining us, on, especially for this themed round. It is amazing to have you here. You've got such a special story. Today what we'd like to do is do less question asking and more listening to the story. Can you tell us, Andy, what was it that drew you to Russell and why you wanted to meet him and how you met it sounds like a love story, doesn't it? Yeah. And it, it is in so many yeah. ways. I, well, I hope my wife doesn't know about this. <laughs> they both do. No, I met, um, I met Rusty about 15, 16, 17 years ago, um, somewhere a long time ago. But um, it was, I had a real need to connect a bit deeper with, with what I felt was a pretty poor education in terms of uh, Australian history. Uh, both formally and informally, and at about sort of twenty seven years old i i, I just I, I had to connect deeper and I just so fortunately through my father actually ran into uh, Rusty Smith and um I called him up dad dad met him out at dinner and, and and said, Andy, this is the guy you've been talking about you want to meet um, his name's Russell Smith, and here's his phone number so I called him up and expecting to maybe catch up in a month or two uh, Rusty said oh, oh good okay um Andy um I come down to see me in a bar playing in Collingwood tonight, and we'll uh, we'll catch up. So I did. I just said to him before we hung, before we hung up, "Hey, Rusty. Um, so you know who I am? I'll wear a red cap." And they said, "Okay, no problems, brother." And uh, I said, "I uh, thought that was a bit weird." And I said, "How do I know who you are?" And he said, um, "He said, well, I'll be the black fellow on the stage, long hair and a didge. I reckon. I reckon you can work out the rest from there." Is that right? Yeah, which he did. <laughs> and that 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 night we yeah. went back to um, back to where Russ was staying. Yep. Uh, and uh, just talked like literally. I don't. I'd never met the guy before in in my life, and we talked till about three or four in the morning. And at the end of that, um, he said, "Well, uh, you got to come to community. You got to come mm. to my country." And um, he, he, I'll, I'll never forget the words that resonated with me that night. You, you said to me, "As much as I got a white history, you got a black history too. And if you want to access it, I'll take you." Um, I hold your hand. So, had you as ever since Rusty? Had you met people before who'd had this level of curiosity who wanted to get involved? Uh, I, I, I have, but not as deep as Andy's. And I think that he's been searching for a long, long time. And um, it was like, for some reason, we were drawn to, to each other, and he couldn't say no. Mm. Once you met, you did go to country, and you spent some time together. And tell us about what that was like and the plans that you concocted and cooked up together. The thing about going to community, I'd been to quite a few other communities, um, but not, not properly introduced. And I think that's the, you know, I, I try and describe it to, to people that need a bit of help with this, that, you know, I've got three kids at home. Um, we live in a nice house and 
lots of people in the area that we really like and my full family. If if I went back there today and saw anybody ripping the children out of you know my my wife's arms, and and then also told that you're you're never going back to that place ever, you won't see them ever again, and and then I was put you know in a place that I didn't know or understand, and given a whole you know, to to ease my pain was given you know, a whole lot of drugs. Um, in the form of alcohol or anything else, I think the residual confusion, despair, um, a- anger's right down the list. Right. Uh, it is so far down the list, and you know it, it's what what you need to do with community is be introduced properly. Go there, go there for the right reasons, even not being sure of what of your reason, but the reason being pure. And I think I think in that you sort of start to access what this whole thing is actually all about, and it's just all about that connection back to. This, I mean, this is the oldest living culture on earth, and I think, I think we could, we could do so much more to respect and understand that. And and every community is the same. You know, they're all missing their kids. They're oh, all the totally. same dreams that that every auntie and oh, Russell's got two kids. I was best man at his wedding. Um, my, my my daughter was was your bridesmaid. Yeah, she was. Now, that's Fragile. how deep it's got to go. And yeah. it's, and it's pretty easy to, to to get there, but that that's what community is all about. It, it is. It's it's a despair that we can only fix together by sort of love and understanding and working together. So, mm. oh, you talk about the stuff we've done, the projects. Oh, look, I, I think that the connection is really, really important for our kids, well, my kids growing up and his kids growing up because it's actually funny. You, I was talking to Jackie ages ago about, I said, Jackie, your kids are lucky because they get access to an Aboriginal community but most kids won't have. And she goes, yes, you're right. And they, they do go back to community and run around. I remember the, the, the day the women turned up for the women's luncheon and Andy's kids going, I'm dressed, ready to go to the luncheon. I know you're not. You're going to school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, Andy, they want to come to the dinner. Yeah. And then a little sissy, which she came across to Port Augusta for, oh, the, for this biz, big business lunch, and one of the local mm. female artists had done these beautiful tiny little canvases. And I, I turn around, there's my daughter who's, what, six, and she's walking around with an empty bag collecting all the canvases off the table. And I said, I said what are you doing? She, goes, and she said, Dad, this is good art. It's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> so this does all have a connection um, to football. It, yep. it, it does, but um, I think the first trip is more than sitting on country mm. and bringing them out kids, bringing those kids into the, into the bush and picking up a football and kicking the football around. So that's where it starts, you know. So... That's the that's the that's the key point, and for our community kids, football is a big thing. But at the same time, there's a element of private school going. Oh, you're an Aboriginal kid. You should play. You should come to us and play football. No, it doesn't work that way. I think that we have to start thinking about health and education with Aboriginal kids first before football gets into the into the equation. So, it's yeah. a great um, it's a great access point though. Right now, there's a whole busload. Twenty Port Augusta kids are driving from. So Port Augusta's in in sort of where the desert meets the sea in um, in South Australia. It's quite remote, but um, and it, it's got an incredible history of trading uh, for forty oh, thousand years ago. It's an amazing place. But these kids are on their way over now, and they they're on a bus. First time for a lot of them out of Port Augusta. Can jump on mm. a plane for the first time ever in their lives. Uh, arrive in Melbourne. Um, and it's for dream time, and, and that's that's the the I guess the access point is is football. But we're really conscious that a lot of our kids in the community won't be AFL stars. Right. Um, a lot of them won't play football. But a lot of the young guys and girls will have so many other talents. But the main thing is come and see a city, um, come in a safe place, see where see what something like the MCG totally. uh, at night looks like. And we were saying last year that 
little chuck, chuck. and he walked yeah. up over the Birong Ma behind Michael Long and um, this little fella chuck, he was nine at the time, and he just, just grabbed my hand and just said, and he stopped and said, Uncle Andy, what is that? And and I looked at it, seeing it through his eyes at his height, um, with all these people flowing into this thing. I said, well, "What do you think it is?" He said, "I think it's a spaceship," <laughs> and and it is. You know that that's mm. that, that's it's exciting to think that again. This is the eighth or ninth year that the kids have come over. Ten actually. Um, ten. <laughs> but but the yeah. numbers man, right? <laughs> but it's just I, I it's it's, it's a it's a great it's a great exchange, and I've always said we 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 get a lot more out of this than we give. Oh, totally. And, um, and I think that's every interaction. Yeah. And I think that bringing those kids into Melbourne, like you said, you you get a lot out of it. But I also think your staff at all your hotels that you do take restaurants. out at restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> I take that back. Um, I think they do take them very... Look at Shawnee, for instance. Yeah. He knows those kids. Like, he started with us right through the long walk and he, he's seen the journey of those Aboriginal kids coming through. He's so they know him. Too. Yeah, he's been a community. They call him Michael Shawnee, which is... It's, I think that's the thing. And he's with... a Hawthorne fan, by the way. What's going on with Hawthorne this year, by the way? <laughs> we don't talk about that. The sledging from Rusty, that was unexpected. <laughs> that was unexpected. That wasn't a sledge. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a sledge, I can really sledge. <laughs> so the program that you guys kind of offer these kids is you take them around Melbourne. It's not just about the football. No. But it's, one part of it is... One small yep, part. Yep, the yep. One small part. But yep. they get to be a part of the long walk, which right. um, you have been a part of as well. Andy, I'm going to ask you to tell the story of how you met Michael Long under yeah, under, advi- <laughs> under advisement of Rusty. Yeah, well, everything everything for me comes back to Russell, uh, funnily enough. But, um, no, we, we'd heard back in 2004 that, that Michael was walking to Canberra. We weren't too sure. We hadn't heard much about it, just that he'd, he'd gone walking. And um, and we called Russell straight away and said, hey, what's going on? And Russell was working with Mick at the AFL at the time. And... Um, and uh, he he's told us that hey yeah he is walking and it's uh, it's not as easy emotionally as, as what we thought it was and so what do you mean is well there's as much as there's support along the way there's there's death threats to stop there's you know really really powerfully intimidating people saying that they shouldn't go ahead including the prime minister you know at the time. <laughs> Um, Andy, he was such can a I, lovely Prime Minister, wasn't he? Can I jump in? Sorry to interrupt oh, you, but just some of our listeners might not know or might not be old enough to remember that long walk. Why was he walking? I, I, I can actually answer yeah, that Russell. question. You've, you've got to take go back at just a little bit more. When I was working with AFL with Longy, we had the Indigenous camp for all the AFL footballers. So every club had to bring their... So we're in Broome for the whole weekend and we had um, Mick Dodson. Pat's other brother, because Pat lives in 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 Broome, so that whole weekend we were doing you know community stuff with the Indigenous footballers, and I I can tell by Michael was just something not quite right. You know he was very upset about things about Indigenous kids and and um, issues in this country. So I remember sitting in the, in the Qantas Club. As we do, <laughs> as Aboriginal people, we do sit in the Gons Club in Perth. You can tell those two are really having this deep conversation. And we, you know, jumped on a plane, went back to Melbourne, because we had a couple of days off for work. And then that Sunday, I get a phone call 
say from Michael from because at the Campbell Markets, looking at some you know as you do as an Aboriginal person, go to Campbell Markets and buy stuff, buy some records, <laughs> buy some records, um, and I get a phone call from Michael and Michael said, um, Russell, I'm walking. I'm going, yeah, walking where? And I'm going to Canberra to walk to meet the Prime Minister. And for an, any a person to force a Prime Minister to come and sit at the table and have a chat, never alone just an Aboriginal person, but the high profile of who Michael was, that set the benchmark. And to, to the credit of John Howard, in his corner was Peter Costello was a number one key supporter for the Essendon Football Club. He forced John Howard to make him have that meeting. Mm-hmm. When that phone call came through, they were just walking into Albury, and that's where it started. Mm-hmm. That's really no, it's actually, it's rusty actually to pick, have that. Picking up on, on that, Greg and Brian Lovett, uh, Brian's actually passed away, yeah. so respectfully to the family. Greg and Brian Lovett were the two were two yeah. of the original walkers that walked with Mick and the crew, very small crew. But these two just heard Longy was walking to Canberra, so they went to say goodbye. They're in their thongs, and Greg said to Brian, "Well, I'll just walk this down the end of the road with him." And Brian <laughs> said, "Well, I'm going to walk down the end of the next road with him." And Longy turned around and goes, "Are you mob coming to Canberra or not?" <laughs> and they did. Now they walked in thongs, and when we met them. So Matt, Matt, my brother and I had heard from Rusty things were pretty tough on the road and it was, it was a shocking summer. It was like oh, 42, 43 degrees. It was terrible. So we, um, we jumped in a hire car and stuck our wetsuits and boards in the back of the car in a heap of water. We eventually found them up on the, in the wheat belt and they were looking pretty broken. Mick was, had a, his stick and yeah. knees were bandaged. Anyway, they weren't having the best time. We drove past them over a little hill, jumped out and jumped in our wetsuits, covered ourselves in water and <laughs> carried our surfboards back down the road and... Given that you know they've been getting some some sort of um, you know death threats and things, I think they weren't sure who was this shimmering two white fellows walking towards them with surfboards under their arm. <laughs> but, the um, but one, once yeah. we got up to him, right up to him, and he said, um, well, "What are you mob doing here?" We said, um, "Oh, Longy, what are you doing here?" So I'm walking to Canberra. He said, "Oh, mate, just over that hill is a great surf break, a little a little beach bar, and and some great waves, mate." And I think for the first time in a while, they actually had a laugh. And they did. So we walked that day with them, and um, and and look, the the great thing, um, the incredible, and I, I back Australia because Australians in '67 we voted absolutely unanimously, powerfully. We'd do it again today. I know we would. It's and, only taken and, 50 years to recognise that, but but yeah. but it's it's what gets in the way, and it's you know it's this conversation in here with you guys. This is the real conversation that people really want to be having. I think you can misconstrue Australia's real love and connection. We were saying before, you get mm. people that jump out in the bungle bungles in, in Western Australia or they go to the Katajuda at, um, at, Uluru. at Uluru. And, <clears throat> and you know, I've seen cops, big burly guys when we're doing the film tour with Bob, yeah, and they're just yeah. in tears. And that's the connection to this country. And, and the game does bring it. We don't. The game's not everything. It's a tiny part of it. But Thank God for it, because without it, we, we yeah. don't have the conversation and the chance to get mm. these kids across. It's the window. It is it's the, the it's window. A, it's a window. It's, yeah. Yep. So this weekend, we will see yep. you guys and your 20 children who will be wide-eyed. Some of them yep. have been before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they will have completed the long walk and they will be yep. on the field for the Dreamtime game. Yep. And we would love to get you guys back to talk about what the long-term gains have been for some of these kids who have been through this journey with you and what they've gone on to achieve, for sure, big and small. 
Absolutely. And um, given that you've invited us onto Country Russell, yes, you're not going to be able to keep us away. We sat down earlier and had a, you know, thank you for the coffee, it was fantastic. <laughs> but I, I think before you understand Aboriginal community, you need to go sit on country. And bless Barry Judd, love him to bits. <laughs> but you're not going to have Papunya just yet. Okay. <laughs> You've got to start somewhere, and that's starting somewhere in a small community and seeing it, what it, what's worth. Well, we're very grateful for mm. the invitation, and we're so thankful for you both to come in today. Ladies, we're all a bit teary-eyed, I think, mm. and inspired. I love this job. We haven't let you speak at all. We've just sat here and yarned oh, on. That good. was well, we love the best. Enjoy Sir Doug Nichols' round. What's well, dream time at the G? Dream time at the G. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for coming. Thank you. No worries. Thank you, Andy and Rusty. Oh, my goodness. That was mm, so lovely. Was such a moment. Do you know what really struck me, though, was as they left, I said to Emma, do we do a shout-out to how do we support this? You know, here's two men bringing... You know, these children over every year for the last 10 years, is there a foundation or anything? And she just looked at me and went, no, they just do this. Mm. Oh, this is just... They fund it. They fund it. Right. You know, just amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Thank yeah. you for sharing their story with us. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, all my other friends should be really ashamed of themselves. What, are you, what have you been doing <laughs> lately? Oh, <laughs> Seriously. No, those guys are amazing. And you'll see the kids out on the G. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. I think we might go and hang out with them too over the weekend. Now, one thing that has taken you by the giggle muscle <laughs> quite often at the game Felicity. Oh, it's the minutiae, isn't it? You know, it's... Uh... It is fair to say I do get caught up in things about how things run at the game. And <laughs> they're laughing because they know this. Like, I, I now get, they'll start elbowing me if some if two people have turned up for the same seat going, there's a ticketing issue for listening, you know, because they know. It could be the grand final oh, and cannot. it could be a draw I and she'll be away. staring at the ticketing issue. I cannot look away. Anyway. Break out in hive. This week something took my eye and it was on the, um, the scoreboard at the MCG. They put up if you decided to invade the pitch, um, what the fine was. And the fine was $9,327.60. That's very 60. specific. Is that GST? 60 <laughs> No, but clearly I needed to go <laughs> as the investigative journalist that I am and work out why on earth would this be. So here's what I discovered. There is a piece of legislation called the Major Sporting Events Act of 2009. And under that act, certain offences are listed. Do I sound like Kate Sear yet? You do a bit. <laughs> there yeah. are certain offences listed that attract what they call penalty units. So under this act, entering a field and disrupting play attracts 60 penalty units. So then you have to go to the Victorian Department of Treasury and Finance to find out how much a penalty unit is. Oh, and wow. in this financial year, a penalty unit is $155.46. So if you multiply, but why but where is that, does that so come specific? from? It started as a round figure, and then with you know oh, every year it goes up in inflation. Yeah. yeah. So sixty penalty units give you nine thousand three hundred and twenty-seven dollars sixty. But of course, then I had this piece of legislation and got a bit of a head of steam about. Oh, this is interesting. What else could I find? Did you become a lawyer online? Legally blonde. Wow. <laughs> Not even naturally blonde. <laughs> I did go down this wormhole called What's the Weirdest Thing I Can Find in the Act? And so <laughs> I was actually looking for the Maud Flanders Memorial Law Banning T-shirt cannons. Yes, it's yes. not. I couldn't find it there. You, it is an offence to kick a stone onto a sporting ground. Good to um, know. So did you know, though, <laughs> that you can only advertise on a hang glider flying over an AFL final 
for up to two hours after the actual publicised end time of the match. <laughs> so for all, so you, hang gliders all away. your hang glider <laughs> advertisers out there. Yeah, the next one that I found really interesting is it is actually an offence to obstruct the view of a seated person. Get oh, out. My Not gosh. even kidding. Next time there's really a tall? ticketing, How many there is a ticketing issue. Are you going to make a citizen's arrest? I am. Is there a number for this? <laughs> if they're standing in front of me because they've got the wrong tickets, <gasps> I'm taking them what down under the What about the people that either stand up to take a photo and oh. don't sit down or the people who <laughs> get up to go to the bar and they want to get there? Because they want to be first in line at half time. Oh, terrible. They're just really tall. No, my oh. worst one is the people who stand up with their mobile phone on their ear, looking up into like the seventh <laughs> row line on the fourth level, going, "Can, can, can you see me now? now? <laughs> can you see me now? Like we can all see you." I yeah, know. Sit down. There should be extra penalty units if you stand up and scratch like that man at the game last weekend. He <laughs> kept doing that. But <laughs> Kate's here. Oh, look! I have a funny story about that legislation. I, I was <laughs> oh, in. Good, you do. Of course, you do. Of course, you do. Does a lot of good. Law joke. Um, no, I was I was in court once representing somebody. Okay, and I was waiting outside the courtroom, waiting to go in. And there was a young woman who would have been twenty at the most, sitting next to me. She looked very nervous. She was by herself, and she said to me, "Are you in court today?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And she said, "Oh, what have you what have you been charged?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I haven't been charged with anything actually, but I'm here to represent somebody else." And then she said, oh, okay. And she sort of sheepishly looked away and it was clear she didn't want to continue the conversation. So I was intrigued. I thought, I wonder what she has been charged with. A ticketing issue, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So Mrs Mangles had to ask the question. So we head into court. Her matter gets called up. And the prosecutor, the police prosecutor gets up. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but what happens is they read out a short summary of what this person has been charged with. And it sh- it's usually just sort of the facts of the case, if you like, uh, the elements of the offence with which they've been charged. And what they also do is any other important information, something that might say, for example, aggravate the circumstances of the offence. You know, that when they arrested, they resisted arrest. What she had been charged with was invading the pitch at the cricket, <laughs> right? And I remember, I'll never forget it, the prosecutor in a very earnest voice said, uh, and, Your Honour, I put it to you that the defendant also strutted around the arena <laughs> uh, as, a, as if as a peacock proudly... <laughs> Proudly waving to the crowd of however many it was, you know, 75,000, clearly enjoying her moment in the spotlight, Your Honour. And then at this point, the, the, the magistrate said, asked her to stand and asked her if she agreed with the, the facts, the summary of facts as they'd been stated, and she said yes. Yes, oh, Your Honour, I do. Oh, I, I did indeed enjoy a... myself. <laughs> um, yeah. I do love those football anomalies. I just had one really quick one. That you know how they have all the players have GPS on the back of their jumpers. They have the little yeah. pocket. And they put the GPS in there and they collect them at the end of the day. At the end of the game, do you think they're ever running through? And they go, and at the centre square, turn left. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a brilliant innovation. It would be awesome. We can do away with runners. It would help some people find the ball. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Isn't that pretty much how NFL works? They've got little microphones oh, in their yeah. head while they're it's told how to think. Certainly, how the um how, you know, cycling works, grand cycling. Oh, exactly. Yeah. There you go. Hey, Lucy, just before we wrap up, some AFLW trade news. Have you got it for us? I've got a bit. So um, Collingwood's actually now lost both their best and fairest and their second best and fairest. So you'll remember Nick Stevens went to Carlton. Alicia Eva's now 
going to the GWS. But Collingwood have also signed two rookies, one of whom is Georgie Parker, who's a hockey roo. Not the actress. No, (laughs) there's like a thousand Georgie Parkers out there, by the way. But also a volleyballer named Eliza Hines. Jamie Lambert is going from the Western Bulldogs to Collingwood. So Collingwood signed, I think, about 16, have been re-signed. And I think the paperwork is going through for Mo Hope because she was one that hadn't been yet. The Bulldogs... Out of that, there was a three-way trade. They now have the number one pick, which will be interesting to see um, whether they can use that for Taylor Harris. Or for Emma Race. Oh, I was going <laughs> to say Izzy Huntington, but yeah, well, Emma yeah. Race, whatever. Um, there was a straight swap between Pepper Randall and Ashley Guest between the Giants in Melbourne. And Jess Delpos is going to stay at GWS. And Erin Phillips has re-signed with the Crows. She has. As and has she's Perko. also going to be taking on a role at the AFL. Yep. 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 That's amazing. With one of the, um, the academies. Yeah. Um, one thing I just wanted to do a shout out to, um, I know we talk about my my football prowess, which is just nothing, but I just wanted to do a shout out. Tomorrow, Lucy Race is going to be walking 60 kilometres <laughs> to raise money for the Fred Hollows Foundation. Um, so I just want to put a warning out there to all the public toilets on yep. the um, point, of <laughs> hand, point of hand. She will be coming to visit you. And um, we just think it's an epic achievement and congratulations. And thank you well for done, doing Lucy. that. Well done, Lucy. Thanks, We're going to leave you today with some music by Russell, Rusty Smith, and his band is called Manta, and we're going to leave you with the track Coming Home. We hope you all have a wonderful dream time at the G. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.